Romans uh, 8, 5 through uh, 13. Those who live accordingly to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful man is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And in the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to be the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Before we dive into today's message, in your bulletin you've got a couple of things here. And I was just going to call your attention to them real fast. One is a letter from our business team and and with a list of jobs on the back for our church work day on June 1st. And uh, just wanting to give you time to think about uh, if you want to claim any of those jobs or uh, plan on your calendar to be here if you can that, um, that Saturday. And so I wanted to mention that to you. Also, you should have in your sheet a simple order form. Hopefully it seems simple to you for uh, uh, T-shirts. And with our new logo and uh, name on it. So if you uh, would like to purchase one of those, we're going to try and see if we can get them in time for the church picnic on the 19th. Hopefully we can get them here on the 19th uh, that morning uh, is what we're going to shoot for. So uh, if you'd like to order this, you can certainly pay cash or check and just make that out to the church. And I've got... Uh, some folks will have some folks back in the foyer uh, taking orders if you'd like to get place an order today. We'll also take orders next week. And hopefully by next week, we're hoping to have a little square card reader. Sometimes you see those around town. Uh, so that if you wanted to pay with a debit card or credit card um, for your shirt, then you'd have that option too in case you don't have cash or check with you. Uh, so, giving you a heads up about that. So, you got... A week to figure out, you know, how many shirts you want. Uh, you could just replace your whole closet with Cypress Street shirts. Uh, however many between wash cycles you need. So, uh, let me know if you've got questions about that later. We'll have some folks back there to help you out with it too. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. We're in a series called Eight. Looking at Romans chapter 8, it's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome uh, back, you know, nearly 2,000 years ago. And it was written to some of the very first Christians. 
And this is one of the longest letters Paul wrote, one of the most in-depth and cognitively challenging letters that Paul wrote as we dive through it. And this chapter 8 falls smack in the middle of the letter and is central to the whole thing. And many theologians and scholars believe it's central to the Christian faith. And so we're diving into some of the fundamentals of our faith through this series. And last week we talked about how uh, we are free from the old legal system of being under the law. That uh, we're in Christ, when we're in Christ, when we're following Jesus, when we're being led by His Spirit, then we are no longer operating under the old system. And so we don't have to worry about the outcome of our verdict when we stand before the judgment seat someday. Our sins are forgiven. And, and so we talked about the, the freedom that should come from that and how we're also free from sin and being slaves to sin when we're following Jesus and being led by the Spirit. And I promised you that we would get more into the practical side of that this week. How does that work, being led by the Spirit? How does that work, being free from sin? Because a lot of us don't even really believe that that's possible. And we're going to talk about that today. How many of you know who this guy is? Show of hands. Anybody want to say you know who that guy is? All right. Give me, give me some guesses. I heard Caesar, I think. I've heard Caesar. Any other guesses? Ah, look at that. <laughs> Plato. Not the stuff that your kid uses at the table, although his face could have been sculpted out of that. Plato, as in the guy that lived about 2,500 years ago, almost 500 years before Paul even wrote this letter to the Romans, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. This guy was a Greek philosopher. He's famous. You had to learn about him in school. I don't care. When you went to school, you had to learn about Plato in school. And you wondered, like I did, why do I have to learn about this guy that's been dead for hundreds of years? And like most of his ideas... You know, we've kind of moved on. At least we think we have. Uh, one of his central ideas was called dualism. And, and the, what he proposed is something that we kind of take as a no-brainer. That we are both body and spirit. Or consciousness. Or however you, you know, word that. But that we're not just flesh. Uh, he put that forth. Scholars, a lot of scholars today, secular historians and all, believe that he was the first one to say that. Um, we think that people have known that for a long time. He was one of the first ones to try and make a scientific, rational case for it, uh, which he didn't do that great a job of by modern standards, but he took a stab at making the case for we're both body and spirit. And so he was a pagan Greek philosopher that said this. But the reason that I bring him up today is not because he had this you know, light bulb come on and said, hey, maybe we're more than flesh. I mean, that's kind of common sense in the sense that uh, most people through most of history have understood that to some degree, that we're, there's more going on than meets the eye in our world and in our lives. Okay, the reason I bring him up is because there was a philosophy attached to this belief that we are body and spirit. And Plato believed that our consciousness, our spirit, was our true form. That it was our truest essence of who we are. And that our flesh was corrupt and, and uh, you know, at best a temporary prison that we were trying to escape from. 
into our truest form. That the, you know, in a nutshell, body bad, spirit good, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so that's that's the the premise. And so a lot of you know we see this still in the world today in a lot of corners of the world. I mean, a lot of Eastern religions sound very similar. Uh, Hinduism with its reincarnation of the spirit, Buddhism where you're trying to escape physical matter altogether into a nothingness, a nirvana. We also find it in Christianity today, don't we? I mean, think about it for a moment. There's a lot of Christians, at least in our culture, I don't know about other corners of the world and how they view it, but there's a lot of Christians in our culture who believe that their flesh is hopelessly sinful and that their best hope in life is to escape the physical realm into a spiritual heaven where we'll finally be at peace, finally have life in its truest form, we'll be in heaven. And, and so this is very much akin to dualism, that body bad, you know, spirit good. And so a lot of us believe, okay? And at first glance, Paul seems to be kind of saying the same kind of stuff. Uh, we look at this and he says, for the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it's not even able to do so. It's hopeless. It's a lost case. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Body bad, right? He even says, however, you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So again, it feels like we're hearing the same thing, that body bad, spirit good, that uh, you know that that would be our aim in life is less body, more spirit. Uh, in Paul's day, when he wrote this, Plato's dualism uh, it had been contradicted somewhat by Aristotle, his pupil, and yet it was still, from what I've read, the dominant worldview in their day was Plato's philosophy of dualism that. The body, the physical realm, was something corrupt to be escaped. And this is part of how Caesars began to call themselves sons of God. That uh, in some form, we're all going to be immortal in our spirits, and, and that they are the best of the best of the, these immortal spirits that we are. And so in a sense, they were sons of the gods. And so Paul wrote into this, culture, into this world, straight into the heart of it in Rome. The capital, the center of thought in his day, which would have been ripe with this belief, this philosophy. And he writes these words that undoubtedly felt familiar to his listeners, who were familiar with this flesh bad, spirit good concept. But all of a sudden, just when we think that it's the same as Plato, more or less. Uh, Paul takes a hard turn. I'll let you decide whether he turned left or right. I don't know. Depends on your political persuasion, maybe. 
He took a hard turn, veered off course, totally changed the game, offered a new philosophy that's totally different from anything that I can recognize anywhere else in the world. No other religion, no other faith, no other philosophy. Here's what he said. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. For Paul, for Christian, original Christian fundamental beliefs dating back to the first century, yes, our flesh is corrupt. But it wasn't made to be that way in the beginning. It is not inherently wrong. The, the physical world is not something to be escaped, but something to be fixed. The, the physical world is something that was corrupted by sin, but if we address the problem, it can be rescued, it can be renewed, it can be made into something new. And we you know, perhaps would be familiar and okay with the idea of Jesus returning and setting up a new heaven and earth, a new realm, a new order, a, a corrected and transformed and redeemed creation. In fact, later in this very chapter, he'll talk about how creation itself is longing and groaning and waiting for the time when Jesus will return and remake, renew things to how it was intended to be. So it's a fundamental difference that we don't believe that physical matter, that our physical bodies, that our flesh, that our nature is totally and, un, you know, and hopelessly corrupted and ruined. That it is somehow inherently evil. We believe instead that it was corrupted by sin. And that that can be redeemed, both now and in the future. I mean, this is what Romans 8.11 right there says, is that the spirit of the, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, if it lives in you and in I and me, then, get my grammar right, then it will give life, he will give life to our mortal bodies. Now we have a hope of someday receiving immortal bodies. Paul also writes about that in other places. How the same resurrection body that Jesus received when he rose from the dead is something that we hope to receive when he returns. And, and the rest of those in Christ resurrect. That we will receive these bodies that are made perfect like he is perfect. But that's not what he's talking about here because he specifically said mortal bodies. These wrecked pieces of flesh here that, you know, we've got bad knees, bad backs, we're limping along through life, we feel the pain. Most of us have at least two or three health issues that uh, we don't like to talk about. Right? Those bodies. It says, the spirit that, that raised Christ from the dead will give life to that body. This one, corrupted by sin. And so this is drastically different from any kind of dualism, from any kind of reincarnation, from any kind of Buddhism where you're seeking to escape the physical realm. Instead, God is seeking to redeem your body 
and creation, both now and especially in the future. But it's, it's not a, you know, the Christian hope was never that we would escape the physical realm for eternity and float around in the heavens, but that we would rest there with Christ until his return. And then we would be given new bodies and a new heaven and earth to live the life that we were destined and created to live in the beginning. So we're getting back to some fundamentals here. And this has all been kind of philosophical. What do we believe versus what does the rest of the world believe? And it's important that we not let our Christian faith get taken over by this 2,500-year-old philosophy that says body bad, spirit good. Because what happens when we do that is that we throw up our hands and we say, I'm a sinner. Thank God for grace. There's no hope for me this side of heaven. This world is a wreck. There's nothing we can do about that. It's hopeless. Let's just hope for the day that Jesus you know, takes us home. Is that not what popular Christian culture believes? That we are hopelessly sinful. There's nothing really much that we can do. We can try to live a good life. But at the end of the day, we're just waiting until we punch our ticket to heaven and finally have life and peace. And yet, the case that Paul makes, and the case that Jesus made, and the case that the earliest Christians believed was that life and peace is available now to those in Christ Jesus, even in our mortal bodies. So the question remains, how? How do we do that? How, what does it mean to be in step with the Spirit? the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. How do we partner with him? Well, first let's fill out our note card with the fundamental belief we're talking about today. Is we believe that the hope of life someday begins with the hope of life today. Yes, Christian faith and belief and teaching believes in a hope of life someday. A better, richer, fuller life someday. That's not all we believe. In fact, it seems pretty clear that those who enjoy that life someday are those who start to experience it today. That there's a kind of life that Jesus has to offer, like he offered to the woman at the well. A kind of living water that never dies, but springs up to eternal life. That's how Jesus described it. There's a kind of life and peace which you can begin to experience now in your life that springs up to eternal life. That's the nature of it. It's not just that we prayed a prayer and we believed that Jesus existed and that he was the Son of God and so because of that belief then someday we'll have life. But on the contrary, that those who believe in Jesus and the life he has to offer begin to experience it now and it wells up within us to eternal life. This idea that the life Jesus offers today is the kind of life you'd want to live forever. So we believe that the hope of life someday begins with the hope of life today. And I want to talk to you from this passage of scripture about how we practically do that in our lives, in our daily lives. 
And because of the nature of this subject, this is probably the most important message in this series uh, and, and one of the most important things that you can uh, that you can get stuck in your mind about the Christian faith. One of the most important things for you personally in your faith journey. And so there's space on here, a little bit of space for notes. I'm going to give you at least two things today that would be worth writing down. And you may want to write down more. You can use the back of it too. You can find something else to write on. Just don't start tearing pages out of the hymnal or somebody will... Okay, all that philosophy that we just looked at, that Paul said, was kind of smack in the middle of two statements that he makes. We could call them bookend statements, right? The one came at the beginning that we didn't look at, and one came at the end that we didn't just look at. I mean, we read it all, uh, James read it all for us, but there's a verse at the beginning that was very practical. And then he talked about his philosophy that this, is, that this flows out of, that this, the flesh was corrupt, and the spirit can uncorrupt, right? And then there's a statement at the end that's very practical about how this works. And they're both very important for our faith. So the first one was this, that those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. And actually, our memory verse that we've our learning in this really kind of touches on this too, doesn't it? For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So, step one towards very practically living out our faith and partnering with the spirit is to set our minds on the things of the spirit. And we're going to talk about how you do that. But that's, that's very practical. The, the first, it's something you do actively. That's your part in this process. You set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not the things of the flesh. In other words, not the things that are common in this world, that not, the, not the things that come even naturally to you in your corrupted flesh that sin has corrupted, not the things of sin but the things of the Spirit. So we're talking about transforming our minds, what we think about, what we occupy our thoughts with. And we do believe that we have some measure of control over our thoughts. I mean, you could choose what to think about right now. You could choose to tune me out and think about ice cream, and I wouldn't blame you. You have a measure of control over your thoughts. And the first step towards experiencing life and peace through the Spirit is to set your mind, set my mind, on the things of the Spirit. And this is the first step of bringing your body under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, is the primary task of every follower of Jesus, every disciple of Jesus, is to bring their bodies, bring yourself under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And so the first way that we do this is to set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And there's, some very, there's a whole tool bag that goes with this. Tools that you can use to set your mind on things of the Spirit. Very practical things. And you could probably come up with the list on your own. Because if I asked you to set your mind 
on running a marathon. You'd figure out some steps, some things you needed to think through, a mindset that you needed to have to be able to accomplish that, right? So a lot of this should come pretty naturally for you because we do it in every other aspect of our life. I'm not saying that we're all running marathons, but there's, there's things that you've done that you had to set your mind on some different things than what you used to set your mind on to accomplish those goals that you had. And so if your goal is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit, to be led by Him into life and peace, then you've got to figure out how to set your mind on things of the Spirit. But fortunately, you don't have to reinvent the wheel because for generations... Christians have been using tools, disciplines, to engage their mind on the things of the Spirit. And Jesus modeled some of these for us. His apostles certainly did. They're things like studying Scripture. Praying sets our minds on God. Unless we're just spouting off our wish list and going home. but actually spending time with God. Meditating on Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. If you memorize a passage of Scripture, like Romans 8, 6, then you can meditate on it through the day. You can think about it. Not just memorize it, but think about it through the day. These are very practically how people set their minds on the things of the Spirit. I memorize the fruit of the Spirit that as Paul described it, life, joy, peace, patience, I mean love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, those things, it's just a, it's a nine-part list. And you can memorize nine things. You can memorize a list. And that has been something that I've been able to come back to and meditate on and pray through. And that's a way of setting my mind on the things of the Spirit, for sure. Because I know those things are things of the Spirit. Pick passages like that that are filled with the things of the Spirit, memorize them, meditate on them, and in this way you are setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. This is very practical. Anyone can do it, right? Worshiping, whether at home, by yourself, or here with us, worshiping together. That's a way of setting your mind on things of the Spirit with the help of music. True Christian fellowship, which we struggle with, but is where Christians can come together and talk about their faith. It may not be comfortable to you at first. That's, you know, it's one thing about circles. It can be uncomfortable because we're asking a bunch of questions that aren't the kinds of questions that you're used to talking about. We're used to talking about the weather and politics and whatever. We're not used to talking to each other about our faith. And yet that's a way of setting our minds on things of the Spirit. All right, so that's step one. Set your mind on things of the Spirit. There's so much more, obviously, I could say about any of those. And there's so much you could learn about how to study the Bible how to memorize scripture, or how to meditate on it, or how to pray. There's infinite learning that can take place in any of those, those departments. But they're also simple enough that you could start today. Second step. 
Paul mentions at the end of this passage we read today. So then, brethren, which includes sisters, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if, catch this, if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Again, we're not putting to death the body so we can live our true existence in the Spirit. We're putting to death the deeds, the old habits, the, the, automatic, the automated patterns, right? The, the things where, you know, this happens and you fly off the handle. Why did that happen? Well, because you're messed up by sin. <laughs> like I am. You've got old habits that became automatic and you don't even know why. But that's, this happens and your thought pattern goes here in the blink of an eye. And you're angry. You, your temper is lost. Or you see this image and immediately your mind goes down that trail. Uh, that you know is not healthy for your marriage, let's say. Uh, we have old patterns and habits and ways of thinking that need to die in order for us to be under the influence of the Spirit and to experience the life and peace that comes with that, even now in our mortal bodies. So step one was set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Step two is put to death the deeds of the body. And that only happens by the power of the Spirit. But we have an active role in it. So we're, we're not teaching here that you just need to tough it out. That you're just not strong enough. So, you know, get stronger. Be stronger. Make it happen. But we are teaching that fight the fight. Fight the battle. And trust God's Spirit to provide the power for the victory. It may not come the first moment you fight the battle. It may come after years of battle. But fight the battle and trust His power to make the difference. No matter what part of your flesh needs to die the most today, uh, the Holy Spirit can help guide you in that too. Uh, you know, whether it's your thought life, whether it's your anger, whether it's, uh, you know, lust, whether it's uh, gluttony, your appetite, what, whatever your thing is that you're struggling with, that you're dealing with, fight the battle to put it to death. That's the image. We're not in like a little, this isn't uh, Christianity light, right? This isn't like, um, you know, just think positive thoughts and be wishful. You know, there is a, a thinking part of this, but there's also an active doing battle. Putting on the armor of God and going to work. And you're capable of more than you imagine when you go to work, especially when you're going to work with the Spirit on your side. So, how do we put to death the things of the flesh, the deeds of the body? Well, again, there's a tool bag that goes along with that. It's not an exact science, but perhaps you've heard of things like fasting. That is in the Christian tool bag for 2,000 years, something that Jesus modeled for us, where you kill off the deeds of the body, the old patterns, the, 
It's a very practical way. All these things, in some, in some sense, you're abstaining from something to let something die. It's like depriving a part of you from the nutrients that it needs to survive. That might be a good way of describing it. Like, like say you've got a weed that needs to die. Uh, you could spray Roundup on it, but if you don't have Roundup, you could just starve it of nutrients. Like, lay something over the top of it. It won't get sun, it won't get rain. It will die. <laughs> there's no weed, you know, I don't think. Some of the ones in my yard, I don't know. But there's no weed that can survive not having any sunlight or water, right? At some point, it's going to shrivel up and die. And so we do this in our life. With parts of our lives that are what Paul's calling the deeds of the flesh. Old sinful habits that need to die hard. And so... Things like fasting, things like frugality or sacrifice, where you uh, purposefully abstain from buying material things other than like bare necessities to eat, of, of digging deeper, of, of going deeper and sacrificing more than you think that you could probably even sacrifice. These are ways of starving off parts of you materialistic parts of you that think you need all these things that you don't need when really what you need most of all is the spirit that gives life and peace. And so you deprive that part of you of nutrients through these tools. Is this making sense at all? I'm trying to be super practical. Um, chastity or abstinence. These are words that aren't very popular today, right? <laughs> Like, chastity, that sounds like something out of, like, a Knights of the Round Table or something, you know, like, some antique idea of, you know, no one does that anymore. But depriving yourself of sexual gratification for an extended period of time, whether you're married or not, may be something that you need to do to kill off a part of yourself that has some bad habits associated with it. It might sound drastic, it might sound un-American. Probably is. These are the nature of these things. These tools that we have. Sobriety. Where you starve yourself of whatever substance it is that you're addicted to. Whether that's cocaine or coffee. Right? If you've got something that you're reliant on other than the Holy Spirit. Starve it out. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's easy. But you can get help from your neighbor, and you can get power from the Holy Spirit, and people have been doing it for a long time, with great success. Every year, and this year on, I believe it's August 14th, a Wednesday in August, we'll host the Mercy Girls here in our fellowship hall on a Wednesday night, and they'll share a testimony or two with us of lives transformed of young women who were stuck in ruts of you know, either sexual problems or addiction problems, or suicidal tendencies, all these issues, life-altering issues that they come to Mercy Multiplied with. And there's a home right here in town where girls come from all over the country and they stay there for six months or so and they 
They're taught. They're taught these tools. They're taught that their connection spiritually to Jesus through His Holy Spirit is central to their hope of restoring life to their dying flesh. That they must have their minds renewed by thinking on things of the Spirit. They're taught that uh, they should put to death old habits, old hurts, old grudges, old generational patterns and life choices so they can embrace freedom and life and peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. We went through a study that's very similar to what they go through called Keys to Freedom a little while back. And if you weren't here when we went through that study, uh, but it's something you'd like to get a hold of, I'd love to get that in your hands as a, just a personal resource or even to walk with you through it or we can get someone to walk with you through it if you don't want to walk with me. That's all right. But it's very practical teaching. And every year, mercy comes and shares, don't they? Of how it's transformed the lives of young women that go through and learn these, these issues. It's not just young women. It's been people, thousands upon thousands, millions even, over the course of the last 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead and that same spirit became available to those who would follow his way of life. We believe that the hope of life someday begins with the hope of life today. I believe that this message is lost on most of Christianity today. And sometimes we look at our city and our community and we think, there's a church on every corner. Why us? Why this handful of people? You know, why keep struggling to keep the doors open here and we could just split up and divide up around town at churches that are already doing stuff? But I believe we have a message to share that isn't getting shared very much, that strikes back at the heart of Christianity and the heart of the Christian hope. That you can be free from legalism and you can be free from sin and you can find life and peace in your life today that will well up into life and peace for eternity. That there is freedom from sin. That you don't have to stay bound in it. And I think that's a message that a lot of people, both Christians and non-Christians, need to hear. And so we'll keep on preaching it and we'll keep on teaching it and I hope that you all with me will be the first ones to start trying to live it. To really concentrate our minds on the things of the Spirit and to really pick up our sword and start putting to death the things in our flesh that need to die so that we can be transformed lives that are testimonies to the power of the Spirit still available to Christians today. You don't have to just throw in the towel and say, well... I'm a sinner. Thank goodness for grace. Yes, thank goodness for grace. Thank goodness for a fresh start and for forgiveness and for hope. But that hope starts now. And so I'll keep preaching that. We'll keep trying to live that. And if you know anyone else that might need that, bring them. And we'll keep talking about it. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the hope 
that we have, the life available to us, both now and forevermore. God, we're attracted to the things of this world, the things of the flesh. We feel pressure all the time from our desires that aren't of the Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we need your help that we might have the life that Jesus promised and we might point others to a better way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.